The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 143, which says, a Psalm of David, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. I wish people would understand that. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Selah. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. Well, I'm turning to our uh, sermon, which is Leviticus. We're going to do the whole chapter, Leviticus 19, 1 through 37. It's a long chapter, and we won't be done until probably 7 or 8 tonight. But <laughs> before I start reading those verses, uh, I want to remind you, I've failed. I said, I'm thinking of something I couldn't remember at the beginning of the sermon or the service today is that Paul is, you know, he's suffering with his afflictions and um, I haven't talked to him all week. I've been gone, but he's the one that I said, I know I need to pray for somebody. So we need to remember to keep Paul in prayer as well. He uh, is still not attending church and it's been a difficult run for him for these five months. So please remember that as well as all the other prayer requests I mentioned. So now to Leviticus 19 verse 1 through 37. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallow offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard. Nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind but shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. 
whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this there shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. A ram is a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave the sides of your head, nor disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, and honest hin. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments, and perform them I am the Lord. There are a lot of verses to get through today, but they will get done. Although many of the laws that we will look at have absolutely no bearing on anything we would consider as relevant to our society today, some of them do. In fact, Paul and other New Testament writers mention quite a few precepts which parallel those we see here. I won't highlight them all because there are a lot of verses to get through, but I'll give you enough to show you that there is a consistency in the moral precepts of the two testaments. As the law is fulfilled and annulled in Christ, we are free from those things which are not repeated in the new. We have no prohibitions on shaving beards, for example. Why anyone would want to do that is a bit hard to understand, but we are free to do so if we wish. Tattoos? I'm not a fan of them, but there is nothing in the New Testament to forbid wearing them. Our pointing finger needs to be pointed in the right direction and for the right reasons. Having said that, just imagine yourself bound to all of the rules that are in today's passage, and then imagine that you are bound to it, your children are, and your children's children are. There can be no slip-ups, and there can be no overlooking infractions. One violation of any of these precepts breaks the entire law. The people who cared about their state before God must have longed, longed each year for the Day of Atonement. Outside of that, there was only a constant nagging that they had let the Lord down time and time again. Thank God for Jesus who has freed us from this. Our text verse comes from Romans chapter 3. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Or is he the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. How can we boast before God when Jesus has done all the work? We are saved not by deeds of the law, but by faith in Jesus. This is the incredible marvel of what we have going for us in the new covenant. We aren't just saved by faith. We continue to be saved by faith. Surely the words of scripture are true where it says, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This is the truth that we will continue to see today. Israel failed. We have failed. But Jesus prevailed. Where there was condemnation, there is now peace with God. Thank God for Jesus Christ. 
This truth is to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have just one long running thought for you today. It's uh, the entire chapter. And the Lord, verse one, yes, verse one. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, like the words of chapter 18, words of law lie ahead. And so the Lord again speaks directly and only to Moses. They are words which will include both moral and ceremonial aspects Some will bear on what is simply morally honorable, such as rising for the gray-headed in verse 32. It should be remembered that laws like that would not bear any penalty if they were not otherwise given. But once the law is given, it is a precept which must be adhered to. To fail to stand for the gray-headed would then be a violation of the law. As James says in his epistle, to keep the whole law, but yet to stumble in one point One is guilty of breaking the entire law. And to show how wide-ranging this guilt extends, we read the next words. Verse 2, speak to all of the congregation of the children of Israel. The words of this chapter are to be conveyed to Kal Adat, or all the congregation of the children of Israel, because they apply to all. This is the only time that this phrase is used in Leviticus, and it is only used one other time in the entire Torah, meaning the five books of Moses. That is in Exodus 12, verse 3, at the giving of the Passover instructions. No one is exempt, and ignorance of the law is therefore no excuse. The law, including every single precept, no matter how large or how small, is a unified whole. All people were bound to it, and all were expected to comply And there is a reason for this. Verse 2 continues, And say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The chapter is subdivided into 16 separate groupings, including the first, which comprises verses 1 and 2. Each of these groupings ends with a declaratory statement. I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God, or in this case, I, the Lord your God, am holy. The holiness of God is tied up in the laws which he gives to his people. Therefore, they were required to comply with his words in order to reflect that same holiness. In other words, holiness is the basis for and the goal of what is being relayed. As these laws deal with interactions between the Lord and his people or between the people themselves, they embody much of the Decalogue, meaning the Ten Commandments itself, some directly, others implicitly. In fact, the scholar Kalish, listen to what he says about the chapter we're looking at right now. He wisely states, this remarkable chapter is perhaps the most comprehensive, the most varied, and in some respects, the most important section of Leviticus, if not the entire Pentateuch, meaning the entire law of Moses. It was by the ancient Jews regarded as an epitome of the whole law. It has at all times been looked upon as a counterpart of the Decalogue itself. The admonition to be holy as the Lord God is holy ends the first subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 3, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Two seemingly unrelated commands are given in one short verse, and yet they are intricately tied together. As a whole, they form what could be considered the two pillars of Israel's moral governance. The first is reverence for mother and father. The second is honoring the Lord's Sabbaths. As they are tied together here, they're actually also tied together in the Decalogue, but in reverse. They are also the only two positive commands in the entire Decalogue. You shall instead of you shall not. It is of high note that mother is placed here before father. It is also of high note that this reverence is placed before the Sabbath. In the Decalogue, the fourth commandment is the Sabbath, and the fifth is honoring one's parents. And in the fifth, the father is noted before the mother. What to make of this? (coughs) Reverence of the Lord is tied up in the Sabbath, hence the term Shabbatotai, or my Sabbath. And yet, reverence for the parents is listed prior to that of the Sabbaths. It is to teach Israel that one cannot honor the Lord properly if they do not honor their parents. And likewise, one cannot honor their parents properly if they do not equally esteem both mother and father or father and mother. 
It is interesting, however, that the Sabbath observance for Israel is the only command in the Decalogue to be wholly set aside in Christ. Honor of the Son as our Sabbath rest now replaces honoring the Lord on a Sabbath rest. The violation of not honoring one's parents is noted in Israel, such as in Micah 7 verse 6. Violations of not keeping the Sabbath are noted in Scripture, such as in Nehemiah 13 verse 15. They failed to honor the Lord their God. This ends the second subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 4. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. The next command essentially embraces both the first and second commands of the Decalogue. It is first to not turn to Ha-Elelim, or the idols. This is the first time that the word is used. It comes from the word Al, meaning no, and thus it literally means the nothings. Paul, understanding this nuance, repeats it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. He says there, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Understanding that these are nothings, the Lord then tells them to not make for themselves molded gods, as if they were making something. Psalm 115 explains that those who do such things hold the same value as what they produce. They render themselves of no value, becoming nothings. Here's what it says. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. They are nothings. The Old Testament is filled with references to violations of these two precepts. In this, Israel failed to honor Jehovah their God. This ends the third subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 5, And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. The words of this verse are more certainly rendered, you shall offer it for your acceptance, not of your own free will. When a peace offering was offered, it was to be according to a set procedure. If that was not followed, the offerer and his offering would not be accepted. Chapter 17 showed that the Israelites were in the habit of offering their sacrifices to the goat idols or the demons. This was now forbidden, but it was not enough to tell them to abstain from sacrificing to these demons. Instead, their offerings were to be to the Lord and in a set manner. Verse 6, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. There were two classes of peace offerings in chapter 7. The first class, an offering of thanksgiving, had to be eaten on the first day alone. The second class, a vow or voluntary offering, could be eaten on the next day. It is this second class which is described right here. But the same warning as given in chapter 7 is repeated here. Anything remaining had to be burnt up on the third day. Verse 7, and if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. This prohibition looks forward to Jesus Christ, who was resurrected on the third day and who saw no corruption. As this is a peace offering, which is shared in by both the Lord and the offerer, eating it on the third day would be wholly unsuitable to that typology. Verse 8, Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. To violate the typology of the unblemished, incorruptible Christ was reason for excision from the people of God. Though the people didn't have an explanation for this, there were two reasons why they needed to be obedient. The first is that the command had been given. That's it. That's all they need for justification. You're to do this. Secondly, though, when Christ came, there would be no excuse in missing the typology that they had personally participated in for so many centuries. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. This is a really, really interesting verse, which I'll tell you about in a couple more sermons, okay? I just want to lead you into that. The subgroup here continues with a seemingly unrelated admonition to not wholly reap the land. But 
As the first law, that of the peace offering, concerns a relationship with the Lord, this law is directed to a relationship with one's fellow man. It is the same thought as uniting the honoring of parents and the keeping of the Sabbath. One cannot honor the Lord rightly if they do not care for their poor neighbors. How can one offer an acceptable peace offering to the Lord while not being a living peace offering to their neighbor? And so Israel was instructed to leave the corners of their fields and not reap them. They were to further leave behind anything which dropped during the reaping process. They were not to bend over and pick it up. That way the poor could follow after them and gather the gleanings. To understand this and to see it in practice, go read the book of Ruth. To understand the book of Ruth, watch or read the sermons on the Superior Word website. This verse is a mirror of Leviticus 23, verse 22. It contains rather remarkable Hebrew, which we are going to look at when we get to that verse. So stay tuned. (coughs) Verse 10, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Like the harvest of the field, so it was to be in the vineyard as well. Here, a unique word, peret, is seen. It essentially means a single fruit, and it comes from another unique word, parat, which means to chant. As one improvises or scatters words in a chant, so single grapes are scattered on the vines, and single grapes fall from the bunches. When going over the vines, any clusters were to be taken, but any grapes growing by themselves were to be left. And any that dropped as the clusters were cut were to be left behind. All of this was for the sake of the poor and the stranger. The first king of Israel, Saul, violated the law of the peace offering, as did others in the Old Testament. The word also condemns the people for oppressing the poor. In this, Israel failed to honor the Lord their God. This ends the fourth subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Stealing here is a repeat of the Eighth Commandment. Dealing falsely, as well as lying, are all classed together as kindred sins. These same precepts carry through into the New Covenant as well. Verse 12. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. These words correspond to the Third Commandment. There are those, and there are a lot of people out there who believe that the Bible implies that it is inappropriate to make any vows or to swear at all. That's wholly incorrect. Vows are mandated elsewhere in Scripture. However, they are only to be made in the name of the Lord. The reason why is if you make a vow on anything other than the Lord, it's idolatry. You're swearing on something which is less than God. Further, as this verse defines when one swears by the Lord's name, it was never to be a false vow. Stealing, dealing falsely, and lying are found throughout Israel's time under the law of Moses. Swearing falsely in the Lord's name is as well, such as in Isaiah 48, verse 1. In this, Israel failed to honor the Lord their God. This ends the fifth subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 13, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. The word cheat here gives the sense of oppression. One was not to do something towards their neighbor to bring hardship upon him, nor was anyone to rob their neighbor. And positive treatment of one's hired hand was expected as well. The word peula, or wages, is introduced right here. It means simply labor, but it implies that which results from the labor, and thus wages. If a person worked, they were to not have their pay withheld from them. To say, I will give it to you in the morning, was to deprive him of his food and bed in the night. What was owed was to be paid. This is seen still in practice at the time of Jesus as is reflected in the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. Verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. These words are to be taken literally. Cursing a deaf person who cannot hear and who then cannot respond in order to defend himself is truly wicked. But the term for deaf here also includes those who are out of range for hearing. It is inappropriate to curse someone who is not available to defend himself. Secondly, the Lord protects the blind by commanding that no person should ever put a mikshol or stumbling block before them. 
The very thought of doing such a thing is perverse and it is an unholy thing. This stumbling block is a new word which will be seen only 14 times in the entire Old Testament and eight of them are found in the book of Ezekiel. Oppression and robbing by the people is seen elsewhere in the Old Testament. The other forms of wrongdoing are not specifically noted as having been done, but the same terms, blind and deaf, are specifically applied to Israel for failing to heed the Lord. In these things, Israel failed to honor Jehovah. This ends the sixth subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. A new word translated as injustice, and which is variously spelled and spoken, is brought in now. This thought is then further defined. It is both unjust to show partiality to the poor because he is poor, and to show preference to the mighty because he is mighty. Instead, the eyes of the one judging are to be blind to the state of the person and are to judge according to what is right, regardless of how it will affect either the rich or the poor, or how they could benefit personally off such a judgment to the rich or to the poor. Instead, all judgments are to be in righteousness alone. This should be an obvious precept in all places and at all times, but like Israel of old, America today violates both of these, and we do it with zeal. Toss in preference because of race, political affiliation, fame, and a host of other irrelevant issues, and injustice truly rules the land of the United States of America. Verse 16, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. The Rakil, or tale-bearer, is introduced here. This is one who goes from place to place, spreading false or defamatory statements. Such was to be rejected. In similar fashion, gossips are especially spoken against in the New Testament. Along with this, one was not to take a stand against the blood or life of their neighbor. Injustice is spoken against numerous times. The tale-bearer being allowed to continue is spoken against in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, and the blood of Naboth was stood against by his neighbors in 1 Kings chapter 21. In these and in other instances, Israel failed to honor the Lord. This ends the seventh subgrouping of the chapter. Are you all seeing a pattern here? You seeing a pattern of what's going on with the law of Moses? We laugh at Israel and we say, listen, they're a microcosm of us, all right? The Lord is showing us that we desperately need something more than this law. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. <laughs> Hating one's brother will inevitably lead to other sins. There is no way around this. Further, if a neighbor does wrong and we refrain from rebuking him, we are prone to bear sin because of his wrongdoing against us. Both are the natural course of such things. This second precept is explicitly laid out by Jesus in Luke 17, verse 3. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. The previous words were given to rebuke an offender. These now go further. If one rebukes and no change takes place, the offended is still to refrain from taking vengeance or even bearing a grudge. Offense is to flow like water right off the back. These words are substantially repeated by Paul in Romans chapter 12. And in opposing positive to what has thus far been instructed, Israel was to go even further and to love their neighbors even as one loves himself. The precepts of verse 17 are both explicitly violated by Absalom, son of David, in 2 Samuel chapter 13. The commands of verse 18 are not explicitly stated as having been violated by Israel, but the Lord is said to take vengeance against them for their own infractions. In this, Israel failed to honor the Lord. This ends the eighth subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. The words, you shall keep my statutes, looks to what follows. These precepts are to be followed without fail. The first is to keep types of livestock from interbreeding. The word kiliim or kind is introduced here. It will be seen three times in this verse and once more in Deuteronomy. 
Such interbreeding worked against the natural order of things established in Genesis chapter 1. Despite not allowing interbreeding, the use of interbred animals is seen in the use of mules in the Old Testament. The first such time refers to the mules of the sons of King David himself. Next, to sow fields with mixed seed would stress the soil, and it would also stress the crops, one type fighting against another. This was forbidden. And finally, no garment was to be made of both linen and wool. The words linen and wool are a single word in Hebrew, sha'atznetz, which is found only here and in Deuteronomy 22, verse 11. It means mixed stuff. To wear a garment of two or more materials would cause the garment to wear out unevenly. Only garments of single materials were to be worn by the people of Israel. These laws each carry a moral meaning which can be summed up in New Testament verses such as these. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 10 verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. And then from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. These verses in Leviticus are given to point us to the spiritual truth that we are not to mix the holy with the profane. One will always stress and often wear the other out. Verse 20, whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this there shall be a scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. What is seen here is a woman who is a bondwoman, who is espoused to another man. She's partly free, but still partly slave. Such an espousal would not yet be considered legally complete. And so a verdict of adultery could not be made because she was not properly married to another man. Only a scourging, but not a sentence of death could be handed out in such a case. And it's debated by scholars whether the scourging was to be on the woman only or on both. However, only the man was required to bring a trespass offering. Verse 21, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The woman, being the property of another, and thus having no property of her own, could not bring a trespass offering. However, the man was required to do so. The laws for the trespass offering have already been given, and so the specifics of this are not going to be detailed now. However, the symbolism, if you recall, points directly to Christ and his work in forgiving our trespasses. It was a marvelous passage. Verse 22. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. With this offering, according to what is laid out in the law, the sins are atoned for, and thus the trespass is forgiven. Although the offense may seem highly unusual to us today, it is exactly appropriate for a society which included the ownership of slaves. Verse 23, when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. This verse here is one of blessing. First, it says, when you come into the land, the blessing of entering the land is implied. Next, it says, and have planted all kinds of trees. The blessing of possessing the land in permanence is implied here. Next, it says, for food. The blessing of productive land, land which will produce food, is implied. Then it says, you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. There is the blessed assurance that the plants will, in fact, bear. Next, it says, three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. The blessing of healthy trees, that the land will remain in the planter's possession, and that they will continue to bear, are all implied. The mandates here only apply to trees planted after arrival in the land. Those already established were not under this law. In this verse, the word arau, or to count as foreskin, meaning uncircumcised, is seen. It will be seen just one more time in the Bible in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 16. And so what the Hebrew reads is, and you shall circumcise its uncircumcision. The fruit itself is considered as uncircumcised. And so the blossom is to be plucked off as if circumcising it. 
This increases the health and the strength of the plant, something known for countless generations. In this law, it would keep those who are untrained in such things from causing themselves undue harm in later years because of having weak, poorly performing trees. Verse 24, but in the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. The word hilul or praise is to be seen only here and in Judges 9 verse 27. It is a festival or rejoicing for the harvest. The fruit was to be considered both holy and an offering to the Lord. The priests would certainly receive it and do with it according to the law, probably going so far as to apportion it out to the poor and needy and so on. It may also be that the fruit could be eaten in Jerusalem at a pilgrim feast as an offering and as a praise to the Lord, but it could not be commonly eaten at home at this time. Verse 25, and in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. In the fifth year, the fruit belonged to the household, except for the tithe, which certainly applied to the fruit trees as well as to other produce. For two years, that tithe would be eaten in Jerusalem at a pilgrim feast, or it would be exchanged for money and the money spent at the feast. In the third year, this fruit tithe would be given away as prescribed by law. The words that it may yield its increase are given as a promise that if the law was obeyed, it would bear as anticipated. As Charles Ellicott states about this, so far, therefore, from being losers by waiting till the fifth year, they will actually be gainers. This ends the ninth subgrouping of this chapter. And seeing as how I'm right here talking about ties once again, I do this from time to time, it, it, it makes me neurotic. I was, somebody sent me a link yesterday and I poked through the video very quickly. It was from the uh, Church of God up in somewhere up north where you guys are. And um, <laughs> he was talking about the tithe and how it's still mandated under the New Testament, of course. And then he held up a book and he said, and by the way, these, it's a Feast of the Lord book. Buy it from him. Make sure you donate while you're buying it. He, uh, he said, these are also mandated. We have to observe these Feasts of the Lord. You wait till we get there and you see if it's possible for us to observe those, and they're fulfilled anyway. And then he got into the section about the tithing, and he says, well, there's the regular tithe, and then there's the second tithe. And he took Deuteronomy 14, which says that you tithe once every three years, and you eat the other two years of tithe, and he says that's actually a second tithe. So he says you have to tithe plus give away a second tithe on the third year. He's a liar. He is mishandling scripture, and I would never, ever listen to that person again. I sent an email back to this person, and I said, that is a heretic. You stay away from that person. They are reintroducing the law where it does not belong, and plus they're lying. There's a lot of bad doctrine out there, and people need to know their Bible. Tithing is done. It is over. We are not required to tithe in a New Testament church. If you want to give, give. If you don't, go spend it on something else, and that's between you and the Lord. Give as you are blessed is what it says in the New Testament. And then it does have one more thing in Galatians chapter 6, that those who teach should be rewarded by the people who are taught. It's totally up to you. But don't listen to people that say you have to give them 10% and plus a second 10%. That's a complete lie. Okay, let's go on. Verse 26. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. These prohibitions are given to avoid participating in any type of heathen practices. It is more than probable that this is a special reference to magic or idolatrous rites, which included the eating of blood or meals, which included blood. The second prohibition is a cause of much conjecture. The Hebrew says lo tenachashu. Some see the word as deriving from the word nahash or serpent, and so it is divination by serpents. Another believes it's from a word meaning to whisper, and so it is mutterings and incantations. Thirdly, it says velo teonenu. The word comes from anan or cloud, and so it is the clouding over of an enchanter for divination or the reading of clouds for telling good or bad fortune. Verse 27, you shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. The word nakaf or around is introduced here. It is what the men of war will do when going around Jericho in order to destroy it. The cutting of the hair around the head to form a hemisphere to look like one of the three stooges was done by the Arabs and other worshippers of the god Orotal. This practice is mentioned in proper translations of several verses in the book of Jeremiah. 
The second practice, that of disfiguring the edges of one's beard, is too troubling to contemplate, and so I'm going to skip this, okay? Actually, to cut off the corners of the beard was a pagan practice. They would take the cuttings and offer them to their gods. Though these prohibitions were stated in a now-fulfilled law, one must ask himself why they would ever want to cut their beard. It's almost incomprehensible to consider. Verse 28, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Seret, or cuttings, which are intended for the dead, and ketopet ka'ak, or marks tattoos, are both introduced here. This will be the only mention of tattoos in all of scripture. Both were pagan practices which defiled the body created in the image of God. They were for superstitious reasons, and in some cases it was to honor their gods. Although not all of these practices are explicitly stated as having been violated by Israel, some of them are, such as practicing soothsaying. In these ways, Israel failed to honor the Lord. This ends the tenth subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 29, Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. This was, and in parts of the world to this day, remains a common custom. In the Muslim world, people prostituted their daughters to ISIS. Remember that? We did reports on that at the beginning of that war. They were giving their daughters over to be you know, war prostitutes for the sake of their holy warriors. Insane. Fathers selling daughters causes the practice to increase, even to the point where the entire land becomes filled with immorality. At times, the daughters were sold into whoredom for the sake of appeasing their gods. This then led to spiritual harlotry as well. One thing always leading to another, the Lord forbade this. Verse 30, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. The admonition here is purposeful. Instead of following the pagan practices just described, the people were to observe the weekly Sabbaths and reverence the Lord's sanctuary. The other practices drew their hearts away from him. These would draw them near to him. But the pagan practices were often followed. Hordom in the land, both literal and spiritual, flourished. And the Lord's sanctuary was often abandoned by the people. Israel failed to honor the Lord. This ends the 11th subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Ov, or mediums, meaning necromancers, and yideoni, or spiritists, meaning wizards or conjurers, are both introduced here. Israel's recorded history is literally plagued with such people coming into fashion, being expelled by good kings, and coming back into fashion under bad kings. Israel failed to honor the Lord their God through this. So ends the 12th subgrouping of the chapter. And we've got this all over Florida. You drive down the road and there's that big hand. Come on in and have your hand read. And you know, the church that I went to up in Massachusetts years and years ago when I was a kid, they'd have palm readers there. And we're introducing the profane into the holy. This goes on all over the world. This is stuff that goes on, but this is happening in our land just as it happened to Israel. We can't be smug against them because we're violating the very same precepts against a holy and loving God. Verse 32, you shall rise before the gray-headed. I'm getting some right here, aren't I? And honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. This is given as a stark contrast to those things previously mentioned. Though they were to be rejected and ignored, the gray-headed was to be honored even with great reverence. This custom was and is not unknown among the pagans, but it is specifically mandated here by the Lord. Some go so far as to teach rising when they pass by and then sitting down again so they knew that you had rose for them. Job says, wisdom is with aged men and with length of days, understanding. Old age in the Bible is considered an honorable thing, which is to be rewarded with respect. This ends the 13th subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 33, and if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. A stranger willing to dwell with the Israelites and who is willing to submit himself to the laws and customs of the land was not to be oppressed. Interestingly, throughout the chapter, the Lord has been speaking to all of Israel. Second person, plural. Suddenly, he speaks to only one person and then to all again. It says, and if a stranger dwells with you, singular, in your land, plural, 
do not mistreat plural him. The singular must be speaking of Messiah. The verse is telling Israel that if someone dwells with the Lord, who is a son of Israel, he is to be treated as one of them. An example of this would be Ruth, who chose the Lord as her God. Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, is Christ of the Gentiles. Verse 34, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Israel. All of Israel came from another land. Even if they were born in the land of Israel, their forefathers were brought out of Egypt and into Israel. As the Lord loved Israel and brought them into the land, and as he treated them as the rightful owners of the land, he commanded the Israelites to so treat the foreigners who dwelt among them. This command is repeated by the Lord in Ezekiel 47, verse 22, a time after the tribulation period. The foreigners who remain at that time, who survived through the tribulation in the land of Israel, are to be considered as native-born. However, in Ezekiel 22, verse 7, the Israelites violated this precept. Israel failed to honor the Lord through this. This ends the 14th subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 35, you shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. Fair judgment was to be imparted as well. In measurements of length, weight, and volume, there was to be a set standard. This is so much so that in Scripture, a right measure is noted as coming from the Lord himself. It is he who sets the standard, and therefore to violate that is to violate his character. And false dealings were then considered a wicked abomination. In this verse, a new word, mezura. Anybody hear it? Mezura is given. It is where the English word measure is derived from. It specifically speaks of measure by volume. To support this, we read this next, verse 36. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The term honest means these instruments and units were to be the same for buying and for selling, and they were to be based upon a set standard. The mozen, or scales, are introduced here. In Israel, they consisted of balances. They were to be honest and would prove the weights or amounts accordingly. The originals of these things would surely have been maintained at the sanctuary. Any cheater could be found out by comparing with the set standard. That is, unless the sanctuary also dealt in an underhanded manner, as we see in the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke. But this was not to be the case. The Lord brought them out of Egypt, and he expected the people to act in accord with his divine law. It is seen in the Old Testament that Israel failed to honor the Lord their God through these weights and measurements. This ends the 15th subgrouping of the chapter. Verse 37 finishes our verses today. Went quick, didn't it? Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. It is because of the Lord's work, his redemption, his guarantee of their inheriting the land, his promised blessings upon them and for watching over them while they worked and as they slept and for countless other reasons of blessing, he told them that they were not given license to sin, but to hold to his statutes and judgments, performing them because it was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, and as we have seen, Israel failed to honor Jehovah in these many, many ways. This ends the 16th and final subgrouping of the chapter. Having shown once again the failings of Israel under the law, is it any wonder at all that the Lord sent Jesus? Without him, there's nothing but failure on the part of man. There's the constant falling away from what is sound, holy, and reasonable. It is in our very nature. Israel was merely selected as God's nation to show us this. They were given the perfect land, the most marvelous of promises, and the greatest of abundance and blessing, and yet they continuously turned from him to a path which was unsound. Were it not for his covenantal promise to keep them as a people, they would have been utterly swept away by the sands of time. But he did preserve them, and through them came the Savior of the world, In all of the laws we have seen today, and in all of the countless, countless, countless other laws which are recorded in the law of Moses, Jesus Christ never violated one. Now through him, restoration with God is possible. The law which stood opposed to us and which brought us condemnation is fulfilled in him. By a simple act of faith in that, you can be reconciled to God and your account will be recorded as not guilty.
This one stands justified. I would hope that you would make the choice today and call out to this wonderful God who is so willing to forgive that he did all of the work himself. And that takes us right back to what I said about the heretic uh, pastor there preaching that the law, you still have to do this and this under the law and you have to do that. He's preaching works. He's preaching something that is contrary to the very notion of the cross of Jesus Christ. I am going to send my son to live the perfect life recorded in the synoptic gospels. He's going to live this life under the law and he's going to fulfill it. And then he's going to die in fulfillment of the law. What was the big word that I stopped at and asked you to repeat in John three sixteen? Gave. Thank you. He gave his only begotten son. He didn't say I'm partly giving him to you and then you'll work the rest of the way up to me. He gave him. He is the gift. We don't work for gifts. If you say I'm giving this to you, it's a billion dollar Rolex and I want a penny for it. It's not a gift. If there's one thing you have to do, it is not a gift. God gave his son so that we can be reconciled to him by faith. And in the verse I read in Romans 3 today at the beginning of the, some of you are sleeping, but it says not by the law of faith. He excludes works from, or faith from works. Faith is not a work. So much for Calvinism that says that we need to be regenerated in order to believe. He excludes faith as a work. In other words, we have to do something, but it's not a work. We have to say, I believe that God sent his son into the world to take away my sin debt. I receive that I want to be reconciled to you, O oh God, through the shed blood of Christ, who proved it by doing what? Coming out of the grave. He came back to life. The wages of sin is death, right? If he sinned, he'd still be in the grave today. But by God, he didn't. He came out of the grave. He had no sin. He died in fulfillment of the law for you and me. You receive it. You now have no sin in Christ, freed from the burden of the law. Don't listen to it heretic pastors put your trust in christ and in christ alone and if you haven't done it do it today okay it's that simple the time of the world is coming to an end we can see it in all of the bad news every single week all the perversion that's going on in the world around us in churches around us the murders the profanity do you know i might put it in the prophecy update next week because the entire council of palm springs california is now lgbt every one of them Talk about the pervert party right there in the county commission. This is what's going on in the world today. We've got it. If you can't decide what you are, how can you decide what other people should be doing? Right? Call on Jesus, please. Our closing verse comes from Romans chapter 3 again. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I feel so bad for people that are attending that pastor's church that are saying, you need to do this and you need to do that. He's got them in bondage and they're scared to death that they're not going to make it to heaven. And guess what? They're not going to make it to heaven because they failed to trust in Christ. The thing that they're scared most of, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses, is the thing that's going to come upon them because they have failed to call on Christ. Next week, in doing good, they needed to be nudged. It's in Leviticus 21 through 27. In these, Israel will be judged. That'll be our 33rd Leviticus sermon, okay? The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him, and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Long poem today. Here we go. It's called Holy Behavior Towards God and Men. (coughs) And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, these are the words he was then relaying, speak to all of the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So to you I tell Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father as in this life you trod and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor for yourselves molded gods make. I am the Lord your God. These words you shall not forsake. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. Pay heed to this word. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day too, and if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. So you shall do. 
And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted, not in any way. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offerings of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. So shall it be according to this word. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the corners of your field holy, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Heed these instructions given by me. Then you shall not glean your field, nor shall you gather every grape of your vintage too. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God, so these things you shall do. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, and so these things shall be. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. Pay heed to this warning. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. These things you shall always keep in your mind. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. Pay careful heed to this word, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. No, you shall not be so grim. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. So you have heard, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. This you shall not do. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen wool come upon you. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine, you see, and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this a scourging there shall be. But they shall not be put to death, you see, because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering, according to this word. The priest shall make atonement for him. With the ram of the trespass offering, it shall be admitted before the Lord for his sin, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him the sin which he has committed. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten of this law. Please be apprised. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord, and therefore shall it be. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. In obedience to you, there shall be peace. You shall not eat anything with the blood as I am now relaying, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, which would look weird, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Do as I have said. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. Pay heed to this address, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. These instructions in your heart you shall carry. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. So I tell to you, I am the Lord your God. These things you are expected to not do. You shall rise before the gray-headed, so you shall do according to this word, and honor the presence of an old man, and fear your God. I am the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. Please understand. The stranger who dwells among you shall be as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, so this you shall do. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, an honest hen, yes, honesty in all you shall assume. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, as you know. Therefore, you shall observe my statutes and my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. It shall be so. Oh, impossible law. Where can I go from you? Who will from this body of death free me? To Jesus Christ, I will go. It is what I will do. The law is a tutor to lead me to him. And in him, I am set free. By this law, I have a consciousness of sin. How utterly sinful sin is. By it, I can clearly see. By this law, I am utterly defeated. I am done in, but by faith in Jesus, he has set me free. Thank you, Lord God, for the giving of your son. 
thank you that you have broken off the yoke and set me free. By faith alone I am saved. Through his cross it is done. Now I can live for you, but when I fail, you have already forgiven me. Thank you for the perfect life of my Lord who fulfilled every detail of your perfect word. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this instruction on your law, your standard, which we cannot possibly meet. And thank you for its fulfillment in Christ our Lord and the blood that he shed for us so that we can be reconciled to you through the one true and only perfect sacrifice that is acceptable in your presence. Thank you for this avenue, even if it's only one, how gracious you are to provide one way back to you. People of the world say there are many paths which lead to God. They want it to be true because they want to live in their sin. They want to be free from your yoke until they face you. And then they want to just walk into your presence and say, see what I've done? It's not going to work that way. We thank you for the giving of Christ, our Lord, and how he alone can reconcile us to you. What a gift, what an honor it is to place our cares in his capable hands and know that he is taking care of all of it. They're mediating for us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Then we certainly do pray for Paul, who we forgot at the beginning of this service. Forgive me for that, Lord. We pray for him and that you'll strengthen him and help him through his difficult trials. We pray for the wife of Don Young, who lost her husband yesterday, and for all of the other people that we mentioned at the beginning of this service with their many prayer needs, physical afflictions and personal problems and traveling and all of those things that are a part of our daily life, we pray for them. But uh, Lord, we place all of these things in your capable hands, asking you to respond according to your great wisdom. We love you and we praise you. That's why we're here, Lord, is to worship you. That is our duty and help us to do it with joy in our hearts. Thank you, Lord God, for this honor. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.